0: things about the Rise and Fight Federation and Japanese mixed martial arts, or in cases where we tend to talk about things that we...
1: Uh, analyst for MMAProspects.com, uh, also co-host of Parker's MMA Show, um, and I'm on this uh, podcast today to talk about the uh, rise in rankings that uh, we recently published on MMA Prospects.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, first of all, guys, say, Bill, Billy, uh, thank you for taking on such a task. You know, Listen, for UFC rankings so easy you know nobody has to do the work but doing ryzen rankings we have to look at not only the ryzen uh win loss records but also what they do outside because as as you stated in the uh, web the page that you also consider that as well i'm mean, pretty sure that's not an easy task doing all that so i'm just curious to know how what made you what motivated you to to do these rankings for ryzen
1: yeah so um I'm a massive JMMA fan. I'm a massive Ryzen fan. Um, you know, I've, I've been watching the promotion basically since it was created. And I'm also a data scientist by trade. So huh. I, I think my, you know, the way I think about MMA is probably a little more robotic than most people. But uh, I really like rankings. I really like objectively who is the best fighter, who is the best fighter in this division, in this promotion, in the world, pound for pound, like I, those kind of questions fascinate me. So, uh, kind of merging those two interests, uh, this was kind of a natural fit for me to come up with some Japanese MMA Ryzen rankings.
2: Mm. Now, the th- problem also, you know, with Ryzen is, you know, as you stay on the, web- on, the on the page uh, from mmaprospects.com, is that it's a federation, it's not a promotion. Their fighters are not locked down to them. It's not like UFC where you have fighters that are locked down for three, four, five, six fight contracts, so you can easily discern where they are in uh, uh, their the weight division. With Ryzen, there is so much fluctuation with the fighters, especially now, because they do not a lot of foreigners in Japan. Uh, it's, it, you know, one moment you might have a fighter who, who gets a big win in Ryzen, and suddenly at the end of the year, they're signed up for UFC. So... It, it, is it difficult to ju- to kind of just uh, crunch the numbers and just put everybody in their res- in their respective uh, number listing that they should be in? You
1: know, it's it's difficult, but it's not impossible, right? Because at, at the end of the day, like. The nice part about Ryzen compared to, like, a UFC is the relatively low number of events, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about a promotion that has 24 total events. It's kind of, you know, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's at least possible to go through those events, figure out, you know, kind of who beat who, who's already fought who, how recent was that, that sort of thing. And then it's it's about kind of following the news, figuring out who left, who's still with the promotion who is just kind of fighting in other promotions and then the other thing is it's like looking at the talent pipeline like i had to carve through a lot of pancrase and deep and shooto cards to find the places where rise and fighters fight in before they get to ryzen so um that's just you know a lot of combing through topology um to be honest but at the end of the day like you know, you're, you're really focused on kind of uh, what those resumes look like when they got to Ryzen and then, you know, who who they fought within, you know, Ryzen as a federation and how they did in those particular fights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that,
0: Billy, because when it comes down to a lot of the international fighters that Ryzen signed all the way up from the first couple of events on back in December of 2015 to now – I mean, did you also have to go through, like, they, uh, did you also have to go through topology and show to find out if the fighter fought in, say, the UFC or Bellator or some offshoot in Brazil or some kickboxing promotion in Lithuania
1: or something like that? Yeah, so the way that my methodology for developing these rankings works is really promotion agnostic, right? And what I mean by that is, I don't care if you fought someone in the UFC or, like, on the back of a barge, like, off the coast of Russia. What I care about is what has that person, what did that person's career look like to that point? What was the result of that fight? And then what did that person look like afterwards? So, you know, if you beat someone, you know, it happens a lot with fighters on the regional scene in Japan where they'll beat someone who's, you know, Three and one at that point in time, but goes on to be a 500 fighter, or they'll beat someone who is four and one and goes on to be a mainstay in Ryzen who's winning two thirds of their fight. So I have to figure out a way to weight those victories so that they're getting credit for winning that fight, but they're getting the proper credit for. Beating the level of competition that they beat at that point in time.
2: You actually just brought up a great point. I also want to ask if this figures into your rankings. So as we know with J.M.A., you know J.M.A. Christian, you know J.M.A. is that it's not necessary the win that matters, but also how you win. You know, you don't. You know, if you if you are a grinding wrestler, that may not look as good. So I mean, for example, of when uh Bolpirev, uh, beat uh Shibasai at Ryzen eleven by just basically laying on top of him for three rounds. Uh but yeah p Bopurev is nowhere on your rankings and that and a good reason because we haven't seen him since that fight. And does the the way they win also well, Andrew is mm-hmm. the thing also. Yes. You know,
0: it's not how you win and all that. It's if you fight worth the
2: damn. Well yeah that's what okay. right. Yeah.
0: Like, obviously, if you fight worth the damn in promotions like Ryzen and Pancrase and Shudo, or even back in the day with Dream and Pride, chances are you're going to get bought back 99% of the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, I'm just curious to know, does that also factor into your rankings as well, uh, Billy? How the person wins against their competition? Yeah, so
1: it like i guess the the short answer there is it depends yeah the long answer is i i look at if you finish fights yeah because that's something that we can objectively see on a results screen it's very very hard to kind of build a algorithm or an equation or whatever you want to call it around a like does someone fight in an exciting way that's yeah. more of an art than a science yeah. But you can see if they're finishing fights more often, you can see if they're finishing fights against better competition. It's just really hard to judge those guys who win or lose exciting decisions, right? Yeah. That's, it's hard to differentiate between those two from a like activity standpoint. And really that, that's up to kind of the, the viewers. And then it's hard to find someone who like quote unquote fights in an exciting way. But I definitely factor in if people are finishing fights, especially if they're finishing it against higher level competition.
2: Yeah, because I'm, I, as I look at like the 145 rankings, and you know, probably if you did this a year before, the 145 rankings would have only Mikuru on it. Uh, uh, but thankfully that Ryzen has expanded upon that. And uh, what when I see uh, I see Jin Oi, uh, uh, who beat Boku in that uh really terrible uh match at Ryzen 22. You know. I always will consider somebody like him, like him, to be below, like a Saito or even uh, uh, Karamov, who uh, who put up a fight when he fought uh, Algon. Kyle uh, I had, um, forgot which it was, but uh, so yeah, you know, that's interesting as well that you do consider the not necessarily the win, but how they win and what they, well, I guess, what they did did do to get the win. Um, is there any, I'm curious to know, uh, what was the easiest and hardest division to do rankings for? Oof. Um,
1: like the easy ones, I mean, like light heavyweight is a pretty easy division in Ryzen, right? Mm. There's really only four guys. There's a pretty clear hierarchy. Um, you know, it was kind of obvious, um. I think lightweight was also, like, for a more crowded, more competitive division, like, mm-hmm. that was also fairly easy, mostly because they just did a Grand Prix. You know, that makes rankings kind of very easy. Um, bantamweight, by far the hardest. Oh, oh, Most yeah. arguments among the MMA prospect staff about bantamweight rankings is we're going back and forth. Um, you know, and it's it makes sense, right? It's the premier division of Ryzen. Like, you know, I think if you're ranking... You know, Bellator's bantamweight division, or the UFC lightweight division, or, um, you know, PFL has their, you know, welterweight division. Like, whenever you look at the most stacked division in a particular promotion or particular federation, that's going to be the hardest to differentiate. So I'm not surprised, but it was definitely the
2: bantamweight division for the men that was the hardest to kind of pick out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hmm. What would you say is the easiest division for you to sort through? Because
0: obviously, in case you haven't checked out the rising roster lately, there's, uh, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me again, sorry, I was just, tr- I mean, it's hard not to burp when you had, like, uh, it's hard not to burp when you've just drunk uh iced tea that's laced with ginger root, <laughs> mm-hmm. but still, <laughs> point of the matter is, what's the easiest rising division to, scope after, because there, obviously, are a lot of easy divisions in Ryzen, like the heavyweight, I mean, like the openweight division, mind you, and the women's divisions to scope through, because there's not really that much talent there, especially now, considering the fact that, you know, Ryzen just seen Konako Murata go from Invicta to the UFC, and then they just lost... Rocky Martinez was probably one of their more popular open weight competitors to the UFC where unfortunately for him he's getting his ass
1: handed to him right now. Yeah, I think like I said the the light heavyweight division was very easy to sort through. It's kind mm. of obvious who the best fighter is there. Yeah. So, um that was an easy an
2: easy one to sort through for well, me. Well, actually the easiest one should be middleweight. Because they have no middleweight fighters. Last I checked, Ryzen does. So I it, didn't even rank
1: them. Yeah. I didn't even rank them
2: because there's no there's no one to rank. Exactly. Exactly. Um, curious to know as well though. With what's going on in the world, the current pandemic. Uh, if a fighter is inactive or cannot, let's just say you know it's April, April twenty twenty one, and Japan still hasn't reopened. So we still haven't gotten Sio Ham. We haven't gotten Victor Henry. Darren Crookshank or other, you know, uh, me- uh, foreign fighters that are regulars for Would you would you consider removing them from rankings, uh, like uh UFC does after some uh, time of inactivity, or would you still keep them in there, uh, or maybe have them as I don't know in there but not numbered in the rankings.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting. Uh, conundrum that we find ourselves in, right? I definitely in these rankings, I definitely considered like record in the last two years. Um, I I think that's very important with UFC. I mean, the one that drives me crazy on the UFC side is uh, Dominic Cruz just like hung out in the bantamweight rankings forever, and it like totally gunked up, you know, that division. So it's definitely something I would consider, but. It's tough with the foreign fighters right now in Ryzen because it's like there's a part of me that says, like, okay, these guys are definitely, you know, in this kind of top five or top three oftentimes uh, level in in the Federation. But at the same time, you know, you have to reward the guys who are actually fighting. So yeah. you have to move them up in the in the rankings. So I don't know what I would do. I think it would have to d- definitely be very fighter and fight dependent, honestly. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, now the, Now the other thing I also want to ask is what I guess gets a fighter in the rankings? because for example, I'm looking at the white weight division and uh, obviously Tofik is number one because he won the tournament and number two is Toji uh, Koji Takeda, then Soza, then Kume, the K- Takasuke Kume, who's only had one fight on rises so far. But the other thing I'm, that it's interesting about that is uh, Patrickcki Pitbull uh who uh Musa beat in the uh Lightweight tournament's not on that is not on the uh listing of the rankings. So I'm curious to know how does somebody uh get into the rank into into the number of rankings for you?
1: Yeah, so it, it, it's like it's complicated with Ryzen, right? Yeah. Where it's it's not just a a straight up like you're signed to this promotion. Um We look at, you know, like I said, this is a lot of tapology research. This is a lot of looking through the cards, looking through the fighters, seeing when they last fought in Ryzen, if they've taken any fights outside of the promotion since their last Ryzen fight, if those fights are still in Asia or Japan, or if they're, you know, moved to a different promotion. So, like, with Kume, right, his, you know, his last fight is in Ryzen, um, whereas, Someone like Pitbull, it's pretty clear that like his his primary focus is Bellator, even though he's had more Ryzen fights than Kume has. We consider him a Bellator fighter, but again, it's kind of evaluated well, on obviously. a case by case basis. Well, obviously,
0: that I mean that list kind of depends because if you look at the list of fights that you know Fury has had via the rising lightweight Grand Prix last year compared to Kume in his one rising fight this year, you know, you would obviously think, hey, maybe is a Ryzen Fighter, but obviously realize he's a Bellator lightweight whose main focus is to want to get the lightweight, I mean the Bellator lightweight title, even though his brother Patricio has both the lightweight and featherweight belts.
2: And actually, has a good question. I wanna I'm I'm curious to know as well. Do so. Let's just say you know a fighter like uh, Kyoji Horiguchi uh, has uh, fights in Bell, like two or three fights in Bellator, and gets those wins. Do do those do Bellator wins be does the bigger the promotion also affect the rankings if they if it's like a Bellator versus let's say I don't know jungle fights in Brazil. Um, does that at all, does a, does a bigger name promotion have more weight? Only in the
1: sense that when you're fighting for a bigger name promotion, you would end up fighting better competition, right? Oh, okay. So, like, the reason that Bellator is a bigger promotion than, say, Jungle Fight or Shooto or Deep or, you know, one of the many regional promotions that these guys come from um, is because Bellator has better fighters on average than those other promotions, but that's not to say that you can't have a fight that's valued highly in a regional promotion. And that's not to say you can't have a fight that's valued like at a lower rate in a major promotion. It really has to do with the objective quality of the competition that you're facing.
2: Mm hmm. Mm mm-hmm. uh, Well, in the case of Kyoji Horiguchi, now we know that he had the injury. Um, was that at all uh, that. Uh, was he always. Did, was there any sort of, like, back and forth between whether he should be put in the rankings for bantamweight based on the fact of his inactivity and relinquishing the uh, Bellator and Ryzen uh, titles? Or was, this, was it kind of like, uh, is it kind of like, so I have to always say, like, it's when Anderson Silva lost the uh, middleweight title, he was still ranked number two, number three, top five for, like, a long time. And was it kind of like the same thing with Kyoji Horiguchi, where you know he's going to be coming back at some point, so we're going to still keep him there as number two?
1: Yeah, definitely. And Kyoji still fought in the past two years. So, I mean, he's still within that kind of threshold of guys who have fought currently. And, like, he actually has fought not only currently or, like, more re- more recently than I think a lot of people realize, but he fought really good competition when, yeah. he, f- when he was active. So um, he's still a guy that even with his inactivity, you know, the way these rankings are kind of set up numerically – he still scores really really highly um, in, in a lot of the categories that I'm measuring these fighters on
2: mhm uh also uh, curious to know as as well so heavyweight so like so I know that like Chris mentioned open weight before but do you do you kind of, did you kind of combine heavyweight and open weight or is open weight not even a consideration uh when you were doing the rankings no, it's definitely a combination. I mean,
1: it's it's looking at kind of the, you know, heaviest fighters on the on the roster and and trying to rank them. Um, you know, it's it's a very very shallow uh, weight class uh, if you don't combine both
2: groups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Especially uh, considering the fact that there's only so many guys that you say
0: can reach a 265-pound weight limit in a promotion like the UFC or Bellator, but obviously there are fighters like Bob Sapp or Osuna Rashi Kintaro or even Suyoshi Sudario, who at once weighed in at 331 pounds but is trying to trim down to 245 even after his fight with that nobody, Dylan James, <laughs> you um, know, obviously say that... You know, fighters like those can easily tip the scales at over 300 and 400 pounds and still put
2: in a good fight. Uh, one of the other questions I want to ask also, uh, Billy, is uh, what about, what do you do in the case if somebody in Ryzen, and I, uh, I guess I'm the only person who I can think of at the moment who who's, who's this is having to, uh, Takagi Soya, um, who's only fought at catch weight. What do you do with somebody like that who, who's on a, I guess you could say, a catchweight streak? Do you, is it, do they have to be in a definitive weight class, or is there, what do you do, yeah, what do you do in that case?
1: It's tough, right? Like, it's, like, and it's, it's honestly, thankfully, it's, it's kind of rare that that actually happens, but,
2: um. Yeah, well, I just started to interrupt, but also, Mikaru for a while, was doing the, uh, the catch weights as well, like were kinda of fluctuating between like one forty five and one fifty ish, but never anything exact for quite a while. Um I think the solace fight was I think that was that catch weight if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah like one hundred and forty seven pounds, that, I think. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah, that was it. But sorry, go ahead, Billy.
1: You know, it's one of these situations where you you, you try and do the best you can at evaluating First of all, I don't evaluate losses really in these rankings. I really don't look at uh, a fight fights that any given fighter loses. So I'm really only looking at wins, and then within those wins, I try and evaluate like how high quality was that. So I haven't worked this in objectively, but you know, in my mind, I'm I'm more appreciative of a fighter that goes up in weight than one that comes down, and then. Within that, I'm looking at, you know, fighters fighting at a catch weight. Like, is that a situation where they just didn't want to cut weight, or is that a situation where, you know, they're fighting a larger opponent, and that's the lowest weight that that opponent can make? Right. So you try and evaluate the the kind of strength of schedule or level of competition as objectively as possible. And it's definitely something I should I should factor into later rankings is the idea of going up in weight class.
2: Well, cause also I know for I remember I'm gonna say I feel like it was a lot I, I feel like maybe last year and the year before, Ryzen was doing a lot of catch weight bouts uh, in their MMA division. Uh, I, I remember I remember seeing a lot of the MMA fights were like catch weight on Wikipedia, catch weight one forty, catch weight one thirty seven, catch weight, whatever. Um <laughs>
0: Actually,
2: assume they're part of a certain weight
0: class, like bantamweight or featherweight. Um, uh, I'm also curious.
2: Super, if super featherweight, if you want to use the California system. I'm. I'm also curious to know, Billy, and I'm. I'm really curious to hear his answer. So, as we know, that Ryzen does non-title, stupid non-title matches for their uh, champions. Oh, in the case of Oreguchi, when he lost the Kai, what do you do in a case of a rent of that, where someone? Who beats obviously the number the number two guy beats the number one, but he doesn't get the title. Do you put number two above number one, or like, what? What do you do in that case if a champion loses a non-title match in Ryzen? So I I very simply uh, Andrew I have a I have a
1: variable in my calculation that like was it a championship match or not, mm-hmm. and that's how I use it where it's. It's judged as like you get the credit for beating someone with Kyoji Horiguchi's record, which I think was like 26 and 2 or 27 and 2 at the time that mm-hmm. Kaya mm-hmm. beat him. Yeah. But you don't mm-hmm. get the credit for winning the Ryzen title in that um, matchup. So it's weighted heavily because it's a, a win over a high quality opponent, but not as heavily
2: as had the belt been on the line. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Are you? If you don't mind me asking, are you a fan of the non-title matches uh, for the champions? I'm a fan of keeping popular fighters active. Mm. So if
1: that's a vehicle that they use for, you know, keeping someone like Kyoji Horiguchi active, like I'm not, I'm tuning in to watch Kyoji Horiguchi. I'm not tuning in to watch, you know, the rise in title. Like I don't, I don't watch twelve fight fight cards for belts. At the end of the day, I I watch because I think. There's two guys who are among the best in the world at a particular weight class who are going to compete against each other. I'm not necessarily concerned about title fights, though I, you know, that's not to say it doesn't add a little something extra when that gold belt is on the line.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, you know, obviously
0: you're not a fan of... I mean, are you a fan of the whole interim title thing that other promotions do? Because... Obviously we both realize, myself and Andrew, that Ryzen doesn't do that shit either. No interim title bullshit.
2: So far, so far. So far.
1: I think it's overused. I do think like there's places where it has merit where, you know, a fighter gets injured, it's a long term injury like an ACL or, you know, some other, you know, ligament damage and um, they're not able to defend their title like, you know, within a you know, nine month, 10 month, 12 month period. I think that makes sense for an interim title. The problem that other promotions have is they use the interim title as a promotional tool just to get another belt on the poster. And every fan in the world knows that it's not a real belt and it's not like really representative of who's the best fighter in that weight class at that moment. So when it's used correctly, the interim title is an effective tool. When it's used incorrectly, it just wears out the patience of the fans.
2: Brown. Oh, it makes total sense. Uh, question: uh, I know that this is Rise MMA rankings that you did, but did you ever consider uh, when you and MMA prospect people were, were talking about this? What about anything doing anything for Rising Kickboxing? <laughs> you,
1: you know, I am not. I I'll be honest with you. I wish Ryzen did all MMA cards. I am really not. I as hard as I try, like I cannot get into the kickboxing thing. Like. I obviously like tension. I find very fun and he's a a great star and, you know, draws people into the rising scene. So it's not something I've ever considered just because I'm not, I'm not really into kickboxing as a sport, but, um, you know, if someone wants to take that on, I'm, I'm sure we could talk to the, uh, the editorial team at, at MMA prospects.
2: I wonder though, if you could do have to, if you, it would be, I feel like it'd be very hard to do it by weight class. For kickboxing, because they seem to have weight, cl- they don't seem to have like uniform weight classes in Ryzen for kickboxing. At most, it'll probably be have to just general kickboxing, I feel like. And obviously, if you're gonna do that, tension's number one until he quits or whatever. Uh, so I mean, I, I'm just trying to think, yeah, there's really been no, there's, there's, they've done everything from like flyweight... to straw weight, uh, strawweight, uh Kickboxing to heavyweight kickboxing, but the, the division but the fighters are it fluctuates so much uh, You might if you plan not do that. Yeah, you just might as well just do a general kickboxing top 10 ranking um, It's interesting though you bring up that about the uh, kickboxing, uh, you know, at first I wasn't a fan of it I learned to appreciate it kind of a little bit later, but I knew know that you know it, it you know if the car is a 12 fight card and five of them are kickboxing it's kind of like, uh, you want to see more MMA fights or I don't know. I, that's probably what you're feeling. If I'm correct, if, if that's what you're saying, is that correct?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I got into MMA, like I was a high school wrestler. I, I love jujitsu. Like I like grappling, like, and I like seeing grappling when it's like applied in a legitimate MMA fight. Like I'm, I'm not the person who is yelling for them to, you know, stand up the fighters or, you know, complaining about the clinch. Like, I like the grappling. I like the wrestling. So that's kind of what I'm here for, in a sense. Um, so I, I'm I'm not your uh, I'm not your guy, unfortunately, for the uh, the kickboxing stuff.
2: I I gotta ask this because I'm very curious yeah, to know yeah. this. I mean, we can both understand that, right, Andrew? Because oh. when it comes down
0: to you know certain aspects of North American professional fight fans. When a, when a fight goes to the ground, when a fight stays on the ground for X amount of time, they either boo, fans either boo, or get complacent
2: because they wish the fight was standing up more often. Oh, of course, of course. I, 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 speaking of, since you are a fan, Grappler, I gotta ask this. For your uh, lightweight division, did you at all, when you put uh De Souza in that, Satoshi Souza in the rankings, did you at all consider the the four people he beat in that jujitsu grappling exhibition, did that, at all, affect, that at all affect his rankings or not at all? It did not affect his rankings, like only in my heart. That <laughs> I absolutely
1: love that he strapped on a gi and beat four people in a grappling uh, match on a rising
2: card. I was going to say, how much does, how does choking out a child uh, factor into your rankings <laughs> if, if, if that was considered?
1: Uh, no. Categorical no on that one. <laughs> yeah, so basically,
0: he choked out four and a half people because that child
2: only counts as, unfortunately, half a person. Uh-huh. Um, so, I'm just, uh, I'm curious to know, when you were, so, the rankings are, uh, on the, on the page, it says that they were, it's as of October 1st. I'm curious to know, was there any names that you were putting on and then you had to take out because they got signed to, like, UFC or some other promotion? Uh, but I'm, I'm just going to take a random guess. Was Rocky Martinez originally going to be in your heavyweight rankings?
1: When I initially started the process, yes, definitely. Um, but, you know, as uh, obviously, like kind of as I went on, it's a lot easier to take someone out of the rankings than it is to insert them into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just as simple as like, okay, he's going to UFC, and that was it.
2: Now, uh, in the case of somebody like Jake Kuhn, who you listen the light heavyweight uh, um, rankings, but who's also fought heavyweight. and Actually, I think he, his most recent fight he won at heavyweight in Ryzen against uh, uh, Satoshi Ishii. Uh, if somebody fights in two different weight classes, do you you said that you that you that you're more you you kind of give more preference to the upper weight class? Would you then? If they're, if they're going in between late classes, do you do you put them in both or do you settle on one, maybe the higher one?
1: Um, you know, I think I included Jake Hewn in the light heavyweight division just because, number one, I mean, body type-wise, I think he's more in line with the body types of the guys in light heavyweight, even though he can fight at heavyweight. And, um... You know, it's a it's a much shallower division as well. So I kind of needed some warm bodies just to have a ranking at all. But um, I would consider ranking someone like that in both divisions if he was legitimately going back and forth.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. That's definitely one of the problems with like UFC rankings, where you have maybe somebody who's a champion in both, but they're only fighting defending a championship in maybe one division. And, but, and now they're holding up the other division just because they happen to have a belt in that division even though they're not active in it. Um, that, yeah, that's one of the problems I... Well, in general, though, uh, uh, since you are a data scientist, um, I think you may have mentioned it before about the UFC rankings, but I'm just curious to know, just in general, rankings of any kind, what is the thing that you, that, that you most do not like about any rankings uh, that you see in any, in any sports, whether it be MMA... Football, whatever is there something that you particularly don't like that, that a lot of sports do?
1: Yeah, it's the idea of inertia. It's it's this thing that like, well, it, it's really a problem in MMA. It's obviously like in you know a sport like I think probably the most famous rankings is like college football, right? Where you you have to play every week during the season with the exception of bye weeks. MMA fighters can be inactive for years at a time. And remain in rankings because they're popular or they were successful in the past or whatever it might be for each particular fighter. So I don't like that MMA rankings don't factor in recency of competition, recency of wins, because like, you know, someone like, uh, you know, Gilbert Burns, right, who fought, you know, four times over the course of the pandemic or, you know, this you know, most recent group of people who fought at Ryzen 24 even, they should be rewarded over the people who haven't fought since
0: 2018.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and that's my biggest problem. It's like you have these UFC rankings or other promotional rankings where guys will just sit there for years and years and years and just basically babysit their spot without fighting at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
1: kind to think of it, you mentioned a
0: point about MMA rankings feeling like college football rankings and it's funny because college football season is pretty much underway but let's just say if let's just say if all the UFC fighters like all the power five schools in college football all the major conferences in college basketball get ranked higher than every other fighter that's fighting around the world you know, it would basically be all UFC fighters all the time getting a chance to shine in the spotlight, much like how it is in college football when you got teams from the ACC, the Pac twelve, the Big—I mean, the Pac twelve, the Big Twelve, and the Big Ten facing off in the college football playoff each year.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And not to mention the SEC as well.
2: <laughs> so, uh, about the also of rankings, so. I think a lot of people, and you mentioned before that you use Tapology, I don't know, does SureDog still do rankings on their website? Do they ever I, do I
1: don't know, honestly. Okay. I, I don't know if they've done, this is the first time, our rankings at MMA Prospects is the first time I've ever seen legitimate, like, uh, drawn-out rankings for Ryzen, uh-huh. so... If if someone else is doing them, I would love to see them. But I I just I have not come across well,
2: them. Yeah okay. So then we have like a tapology, but and the tapology basically kind of just incorporates the entire MMA spectrum across the world. Um, is there anything about their rankings uh, in relation? I'll say to just rise and fires. Is there any, Do you agree with where they place them uh, in the respective divisions, or do you disagree? I, I wish I could think of like any specific example, but I, I unfortunately can't. I mean. As somebody who went through went through the rankings and just saw the names and all that stuff, do you think that they placed the Ryzen fighters relatively well in relation to the rest of the MMA world? I hope that makes sense, the question I'm asking.
1: Yeah, um, I I don't look at... Um, I look at topology for fight results a lot. I don't look at um, them for rankings, to be honest. Like, And I don't know if anyone who has done what I would consider like a great job in creating outside the UFC rankings. I mean, um, but I, I would say like, in terms of like, do I think like rising
2: gets its respect in terms of pound for pound fighters yeah, um, yeah. and like
1: fighters within particular weight classes, I think they get the respect properly with like a Horiguchi and like a Kaya Sakura kind of these, you know, flyweight, weight type, lower weight classes. I definitely think rising gets its respect. Um, kind of in the MMA landscape. I think the place where people don't realize is like, like, I think Mikuru Asakura is one of the best featherweights in the world. I think Tafik Musayev is one of the best lightweights in the world. Like, I definitely think these guys are top 15, if not top 10. And I haven't really seen them talked about that way. Um, So, like, in certain divisions, they definitely get respect, and others, definitely not.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's because of the fact, and I hate
0: to interrupt, even though it's kind of my thing, (laughs) but it's because of the fact that many MMA journalists that many MMA sites have this bias of, well, if you're not seen on American TV, or if you're not seen in the UFC, chances are you won't get put over. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. why you don't see much of, Mikuru, or Kaya Sakula, or Tobi Usaiyev, or Tio Ham, or Miu Yamamoto in any of the major talking points of the major fight websites, the major MMA shows, which unfortunately there are barely any few that are on television, quite like Ariel Hawani, and the many fight podcasts there are out there aside from us, of course. But it just sucks that many people have that bias because it basically makes people feel like, oh, you know, Ryzen has 2 a.m. events. Ryzen has only 24 events. No, wait, actually, Ryzen has five events a year, and they all start at 2 a.m. Let's ignore them and just keep talking about how much, I mean, how much Dana White is getting his head shoved up Conor McGregor's ass or something. (laughs) though. it's just weird to me that these are world-class fighters, but yet they don't get talked about in the same vein as anybody else, and it kind of sucks for the lightweight division in Rising, especially considering the fact that your Star, Toby Musayev is going to be going off to war. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, actually, he probably might be on the grounds of Azerbaijan as we speak, Ready to invade Armenia, <laughs>
2: but still, does that kind of dumb down his rankings a bit because he might be gone to war for an unknown amount of time? It's the same thing with um what happened with a Korean zombie when he had to do his mandatory military service in Korea. Um, yeah, a, is a, yeah, does that uh, is that gonna have, do you that that'll affect the rankings? You know, just based on fact. Yeah, he may not be fighting for a long time, Topik.
1: I think and like that's something where when we when we get to that bridge and we're talking about crowning, you know, a new Ryzen lightweight champion or an interim champion or something of that respect like no when that interim. divisions
2: no interim. <laughs> hopefully not when
1: that the, when that division starts to move forward, like, it's definitely something I'll take a look at. But I think just, you know, even for right now, I think there's no denying that Tofik Musayev is, you know, the best lightweight currently fighting under in the Ryzen uh, promotion.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know as well, let's just say um, uh, Ryzen wanted to do some official rankings. Uh, what would you, and they went to you and said, hey, Billy, what can we What's the best way that we can, that we can work with you to figure out the rankings for our respective weight divisions? What would you what what, what would you what advice or what advice slash uh, names who would you give because I know one thing about the UFC rankings it's a it's a number of journalists who work for uh, who, who work who work out the rankings across the world, including our uh, our good old friend Bruno Masami. Uh, he's one of the journalists who um, works out the UFC rankings. So would you say that that Ryzen should do the same thing or should they do it internally or how, how would you say was the best way that they can go about uh, making the uh, rankings that they want to do something like that?
1: Yeah, I I'm a, very much so in favor of not involving journalists in rankings. Like even these rankings, I mean, even though it's my name attached to it, like I created an algorithm, right? Like mm-hmm. that's my role in this. Like, I let the computer tell me, you know, who the best fighters are. And really what it, it's, it's about kind of being consultative with Ryzen or whoever else is interested in, you know, helping getting rankings crafted for them. It's just a question of like what in your mind as a promotion like makes a good fighter or the best fighter? Like what are the criteria that you want to look at? And then kind of being able to code that into some sort of algorithm. So we're getting like an, a very unbiased look at who is actually the best fighter. It's really based on the criteria that comes from the promotion.
2: So, in your, in your opinion, the whole thing with the USC, you don't like the fact that they don't, that they have, I don't know how many journalists it is, but they have a, basically a panel of journalists deciding who's number two, number three, number four. On well, top ten, top fifteen. Uh, you, that doesn't sit as a data scientist who works more with the algorithm and crunching numbers. That's not something that you're particularly um a fan of. I I just
1: think like I think it can be a useful um input, but like I, I think as your sole measure of how good or how you know how good or not good someone is, like as a fighter, you're number one requiring you're relying on every single one of these journalists to watch every single fight on the UFC roster, right? Because you're asking them to measure against everyone else who are the top 15 fighters in each individual weight class. Then you're asking them to remember the careers of these fighters on a week-to-week basis in a promotion that's doing, you know, 50 events a year pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think it's like an unreasonable ask for journalists to do that and like it'd be expected to do that on a week by week basis compared to a computer where you could come up with you could use the journalist to come up with criteria, but at the end of the day, like you're just plugging numbers into a computer and it's spitting out an algorithm, and it kind of removes the culpability or the bias from it in in the sense that it's it's looking at raw numbers and criteria that were decided on by humans.
2: Okay, gotcha.
1: Okay, you know what? It's kind of like that old.
0: BCS, I mean,
2: it's kind of like the old BCS for college football, right? Exactly. Uh, and you brought up a, a number of events uh, earlier that Ryzen, you know, obviously has less events and uh, promotion like UFC or even Bellator. Uh, is it easy... Would it, would it be harder or easier if they... Because initially, remember, Sakaki Sakakibara talked about the Three Arrows plan where it sounded like they were going to do three or four or five big shows a year and then about... The rest would be about a few small to medium shows, like on a much smaller scale, probably regional, or uh, or you know two and one and zero type of talent uh, fighters. So if they were to expand the number of, of events, maybe even monthly, uh, would that be easier uh, for you to to put the the rankings or numbers in, or you know just by the sheer fact that they're having more fu- more events probably even more fighters, you know, uh, new fighters. Will that just kind of just uh, uh, cause just like a, I don't know, uh, a, 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 a surge in traffic uh, in the ranking numbers. Yeah,
1: it's, you know, it's a good thing because you'd have more data, but it's also a bad thing because you'd have more data. Yeah. So, you know, you're able to be <laughs> kind of more sure of your rankings. You're able to be, you know, more concrete about, you know, ranking an entire roster, ranking, you know, looking at the objective results of many, many different people over more fights is always going to give you a more definite ranking. But at the same time, you're requiring more inputs, you have more things under consideration, there's more upkeep, Um, and so it it kind of cuts on both ends where you're having to do more work, but it's ultimately producing more accurate rankings, if that
2: makes sense. Is the number uh, of events that they do, well, I mean, the pandemic screwed up that number so like what would be the ideal number of events for them to have for you that like were, you can kind of just is there is there an ideal number um that 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 would just be good for the rankings
1: I, it's not that there's like an ideal number for the rankings um you know i mean personally i like the idea of them doing like one small event and one big event per quarter mm-hmm. um you know and I love grand prix, so I'd be very much you know. Grand Prix are probably something that are hugely helpful for the rankings because largely you get matchups between the top guys. Um, the thing that becomes challenging for rankings is like when you have you know number one fight number seven or number eight. Like, how do you weight that uh, that fight if number one you know wins or yeah. wins in dominant fashion? Um, that's kind of where it becomes challenging. Um uh, in yeah. terms of like an ideal number of events, you know, not really, not really on my radar,
2: I guess. Gotcha. I know this is a very rare occurrence in Ryzen. I think it's only happened once as far as I can recall. I think it was even the first show. But as as you know, um, I, uh, I don't know if you remember the uh, Felipe Efrain uh, in his fight against Yuki Matoya beat him. But what happens that? Efrain did not make weight, so it was ruled a no contest. And if that were to ever happen again, where let's say a fighter, uh, I, I guess it also actually ha- it happened with PFL one. Well, uh, I think that happened with one fight in PFL where a fighter didn't make weight and uh, did not advance in the uh, in their tournament. What would what happens in the case with like with that, uh, where a fighter who did win, but they did not make weight and officially it's a no contest, is that at all? What would you do in that case? Um, I know it has, you probably haven't had to deal with that, but if, if you've even thought of that, I'm curious to know um, anything about that.
1: Yeah, it was a consideration when I came up with the initial methodology that I would only look at wins. Okay. So I didn't want to punish people for, obviously you guys know in Japanese MMA there's a lot more draws than there are in North American promotions. Oh, yes. Um, I didn't want to consider no contests. And I really didn't want to consider losses because I always want to encourage MMA fighters to fight the best possible competition that they can. And so I was only focused on rewarding the wins over that top competition rather than focusing on anything else. So yes, I've thought about no contests. I've thought about draws. I've thought about losses. How do those figure in? But Really, I'm thinking about, you know, when I'm ranking someone is what is what is the sum total of their wins look like?
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing also, uh, we know that Ryzen, they'll usually do, I guess you can call them, uh, I guess, squash matches. They'll usually have they might have somebody like Ayaka Hamazaki versus uh, Tomo Mesawa, where it's a match where they want they clearly have somebody who they want to win and the other person will, will lose. So in the case of like Ayaka Hamasaki, who is number two in your rankings, if let's just say if she were to do, uh, if she did like two or three uh, matches where she, it was clear that you know the competition was it was she was it was only there for her to get some wins on her record, that but then Ryzen does a Miyu Yamamoto versus Aishimizu match, well uh, and then uh, Miyu or I wins that well based on the fact that uh, that. Miou and I are both ranked, and Ayaka is fighting any uh, two or three people who are not ranked. Would would the ranking between Miu and I have more weight? And could they possibly overtake Ayaka as number two? As an example, yeah, that's exactly that's a, you're describing exactly how this ranking system works.
1: Gotcha. Where okay, okay. Oh, sorry, every fight, every fight for every fighter is weighted, and it's based on the quality of the competition, whether or not they finish the fight whether a championship belt was on the line and whether the fight happened within the past two years. And so that is how each fight is weighted. It creates a grading system for fighters, both over the past two years and over the course of their career. And then it's much, much easier to objectively rank them and be able to point out very clearly, here's why I ranked, you know, Hamasaki over Miyu Yamamoto currently, or here's why I ranked, you know, Kana Asakura below Miyuama Yamamoto, like, and kind of, I think, a more controversial ranking in that division. So, um, yes, that's exactly how it works is, is weighting each and every fight that each and every fighter has.
2: Oh, okay, I got you. I understand. I understand. Um, so, I'm curious to know so, uh, the, uh, what was, when you were doing the rankings, uh, when you crunched numbers, was there any particular name that surprised you? When they came out as uh, whatever number they did, was, the, can you recall? We're like, wow, I, that person comes out as number three or number two or number seven or whatever. Anything, any name you can recall? Yeah, well, I promised
1: the I promised the guys at MMA Prospects that I would bring this up because it was so uh, <laughs> controversial. But the big, the biggest fight. This is hysterical to me. But the biggest fight that we had coming up with these rankings was uh, Yuki Matoya at six and Shintaro Ishiwatari at five Mm -hmm. was like, who should be five and six between Matoya and Ishiwatari was like hugely, hugely debated. Um, in my opinion, Matoya was, uh, kind of shafted and should be ranked higher. And I think he has a a higher, a better strength of schedule than Ishiwatari does, even though Ishiwatari fought in the UFC and is kind of the big name and everyone knows him. Um, so that was that was like by far probably the most surprising thing was how much passion there was around that debate.
2: I see. I don't. Ishiwatari fought
1: in the UFC. You probably reference Horiguchi instead of Ishiwatari.
2: Sorry, Christian, what was that? I was basically saying Watari did not fight in the UFC. Horiguchi did. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, so that's interesting. Um decide so it's so really it's like the middle numbers are the hardest to to uh to really uh come to a consensus on uh i don't have to give any names but um uh so um i know mike fidel was the one who created mma profits i know him because he used to be at mmasucker.com who i write for so uh I'm, was it all of you guys who were deciding who, who were deciding or was it just you and him or what was who what was the team i guess effort behind the rankings
1: Well, I think Michael asked me to come on and help out initially to to do rankings like this, knowing my data background and then interest in kind of these international MMA promotions. Um, So I worked with Michael and kind of came up with the methodology, just kind of surveying him about, okay, what actually makes a great fighter? And like, what what do you want to consider when ranking a fighter? Um, And then once we kind of created the rankings with like the objective methodology um we kind of went to the the wider you know community of writers on the site and said you know do these make sense is anything kind of egregious to you or you know can we kind of move forward with these and that helped us kind of tweak the algorithm a little and tweak the system a little and come up with something that we were
2: comfortable with Mm -hmm. now with the rise in 24 will, uh, will the rankings Will, will they be updated for every Ryzen show or, or for every time someone in the rankings has a fight?
1: Every Ryzen show, we're going to look to update these rankings, but we'll take into account fights that happen outside that Ryzen promotion. We just won't live update that, if that makes sense.
2: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So it'll be kind of like, so uh, after whatever, the uh, Ryzen 23. So in between then and Ryzen 24... Uh, when Ryzen24 happens, you'll then go back and be like, okay, we'll look at these names. Okay, this person uh, before fought in deep, but they lost that match, but they won their fight in Ryzen, and you account for all that stuff?
1: Yes, yes. And like, like I said, because we're only considering wins, mm-hmm. it's very depend. Like, those wins are very beneficial to you, but yeah. can be beneficial outside of the promotion. So like, if you win both, fights like you'll move up but it's not necessarily going to like crush you in the Ryzen rankings to take a fight in deep and lose if that
2: makes sense what happens let's just say somebody hypothetically goes on like a three or four fight losing streak in Ryzen. uh will that at all would you then consider lo- those losses to be weighted against a fighter no well
1: the thinking behind the considering wins is the person the people who beat them like would because of the way the rankings work and the person who beat them first, that win, that first win would be weighted more highly than the person who beat them the third fight of that three fight losing streak, because I wanted to consider people who kind of get figured out or get game plan for. And then you start to see a lot of copycat game plan. So yeah. I really wanted a
2: factor for that. Because I, I was very curious to look this up because I, I the name came to mind. Look, I was going to see where Yusuke Yachi lands on your lightweight rankings, and I see he's number seven. And I think, I, ooh, I think that's a very generous number to put Yusuke on, especially after how he's done lately. Um, oh, actually, I'll say that he did pretty well relative uh, in his last rising fights. Um, uh, so I'm I, 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 so. Oh, just curious to know, um, can you just tell us what uh, what you hope Ryzen? Um, what do you think? What do you hope Ryzen does in, in the future? Not necessarily rankings wise, but is there any fights or anything that you want to see him do? You know, coming up at twenty four, New Year's Eve, or you know, in the future. I know there's a pandemic going on, so it's very hard to to say exactly what you would want. But what, if there's anything, any fights you'd like to see do, is there anything that you can think of?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's tons of stuff. I I could go all day about that topic. Um, you know, I think the obvious one that we all want to see is Kai Asakura against Kyoji Horiguchi. Um, I, I just think that rematch needs to happen. I think, you know, maybe some more under the radar fights I'd like to see, like, uh, Ogi Kubo. I'd like to see fight Victor Henry. Um, I'd really like to see the introduction of a featherweight belt. And I think, uh, Mikuru Asakura has earned it. Um, you know, I, I, whenever he gets back from war, I guess, like, I want to see Takeda against Musayev, um, but I, I, and I'd like to see them beef up kind of the the light heavyweight and heavyweight uh, divisions and just get more bodies in there, more guys fighting. So, um, yeah. I know that's a lot, but when it uh. comes down
0: to the, when it comes down to JMMa, you're very unlikely to see. Light heavyweights and heavyweights—it's like a rare unicorn, as I say. When it comes down to the heavier weight classes, that's mm-hmm. why you don't see many middleweights in rising.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I do agree that the light heavyweight and open weight classes need to be shown
2: some love. And it's not heavyweights and rising; it's open weights, mm-hmm. at least
0: from our standard.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm actually curious to know and. When- uh, considering that he is undefeated technically in Ryzen, you are missing Bob Sapp in your rankings. Was he at all? Uh, was he at all a factor in your rankings when you're doing this, Billy?
1: He was not, and as far as I know, Bob Sapp is um, not in the future plans of Ryzen. But as a old school Pride fan, I am uh, more than happy to be let know when Bob Sapp is coming back into the fold.
2: Cause also, cause if he since he is two and zero he did have that that wrestling match with that bear, and I'd be curious to know if he was in your rankings if that bear that match he had with the bear would count uh, towards uh, Bob Sapp's uh, algorithm record algorithm. It depends on what the bear's
1: record is and what the rule set was for that fight.
2: <laughs> no,
1: in other words, Andrew, no, the fuck it would not. <laughs>
2: i know that we're also we know we, we covered morning rises, but also can you just tell us uh uh briefly what you do for uh ksw as well uh billy uh, because i know you do the rankings as well yeah it's a very similar process
1: with almost like the backwards roster right where it's ksw is so heavily weighted you know towards the heavyweights um huh. <laughs> rise it's more about the lighter weight classes um so it's, it's a lot the same process. Uh, most of those guys, I would say, have uh, a lot fewer fights, which is kind of nice from a data input, input standpoint. But, um, you know, a lot of topology, a lot of researching kind of strength of schedule and trying to parse together, you know, who's who is kind of the best among uh, among the, uh, the Polish uh, giants over there.
2: Now, are you are you uh, gonna be watching the upcoming uh, Josh Barnett bare knuckle match that's gonna be happening? Yeah, I a, a, anytime
1: Josh Barnett fights from here on out, like I'll be tuned in. So I'm uh, I'm a Josh Barnett fan.
2: <laughs> cool. Um. So yeah, Billy. Just uh, is there uh? Yeah, I want to just uh leave any last uh, thoughts of you about this uh, about your rankings. Um. Anything else you want to say about them or MMA prospects or I don't know, do you just do rankings for them or do you do any uh, writing for uh, MMA prospects as well?
1: Yeah, I I co-host a podcast uh, with my buddy Parker. It's called Parker's MMA show. Um, And we uh, have done some interviews that I've done some uh, write-ups for, for uh, MMA prospects. But uh, my primary focus, I like to be in the numbers. I like the data of things. So, I like to be in the rankings, but yeah, check out MMA prospects. Check out Parker's MMA show. I'm at BNaden on Twitter, so I'm frequently tweeting about MMA and other sports. So, uh, you know, feel free to kind of give me feedback on, on any of this and, and come check it out because I think the, the more dialogue we can get around, you know, who the best fighter in Ryzen is, the, the better it'll be for the promotion, especially in North America.
2: And for people mm-hmm. who want to check that out, it's MMA Prospects dot com slash Ryzen, or if you go to MMA Prospects dot com, uh, just go under the rankings and highlight it with your uh, cursor, and Ryzen's right there, right in between KSW and Brave CF. Um, and uh, Billy, you know, I know we're going to be we're wrapping up, but um, yeah, uh, are, you, uh, are you excited for Ryzen's uh, prospective future? What do you think? How do they how do you think they look uh, going into uh, the end of 2020 to 2021?
1: Yeah, I think they have a ton of momentum. I think getting Kyoji Horiguchi back is massive. I think they really need to make sure they utilize the fighter exchange with Bellator because I think Bellator is having similar problems in terms of getting fighters into the U.S. and cleared. And, um, you know, I'd like to see them kind of, you know, do the best that they can in, in Japan to get, you know, especially kind of the Russian side of Bellator's roster, some more exposure. Um but I think that's going to be huge for them. I think I think they're definitely on the right path, and there's clearly you know enthusiasm for this, as we saw with kind of the crowdfunding efforts during the pandemic. So I'm uh, I'm bullish on Ryzen, and you know have thoroughly enjoyed
2: watching them up until this point. Do you have any favorite fight, knockout, finish, or whatever so far from this year uh, in Ryzen Twenty uh, Twenty? Oof. Um...
1: Take your time. Take your time. Oh. You know, I, I... I don't know if... I, I love I love watching Kai Asakura fight. So I guess I, I'll have to go with his finish of, of Wigikubo, uh from Ryzen 23. That's probably my favorite uh, finish from this year.
2: Mm, that made me sad because I'm a big Wigekubo fan. And I was hoping it would be his Cinderella moment. But nonetheless, Kai finally got the title. That he uh, deserved the first time he beat Horiguchi. So, nonetheless, at least that at least that uh, that book was closed. Um, but uh, Christian, do you have any last uh, minute questions uh, for our guest?
0: Um, to be quite honest, I only have just one question. When it comes down to you focusing on Ryzen, just like us, what makes Ryzen events? special to you i know that when it comes down to the fighters that we interview prior to these rising shows we ask them sometimes what does rising mean to them but i have to ask you since you obviously cover it just like we do what does watching a rising event
1: mean to you
0: compared to any other promotion that you watch
1: I think for me the the thing that gets me about Ryzen every time is kind of the pageantry of the whole thing. Like I I think it's impossible to match even if you have all the LED boards and all the pyrotechnics, like it's so impossible to match like you know, the feeling of a Saitama Super Arena crowd on New Year's Eve and you know, just getting that kind of that roar of the crowd, the the way that the the noise kind of ebbs and flows within a fight is, like, it's impossible to recreate. I mean, the Japanese fans are just so knowledgeable about martial arts. They're so respectful to these fighters. They're so respectful to all elements of the game. And it's kind of wrapped in this, like, beautiful kind of pro-wrestling style pageantry (laughs) that I I just think is, is kind of unmatched in not just the MMA world, but the sports world in general.
2: Uh huh. I no, can understand. No yes. wonder what you love KSW as well, because KSW does the same thing. They, they have like an orchestra or what they, they they do the same exact thing, you know. So I can understand why you also love uh, looking at uh, KSW rankings. Yeah, I like I like
1: the. I'm not a pro wrestling fan at all, but I am a sports fan, and I like when things feel like a big deal. And I, I think that's what I struggle with with some North American promotions—is it feels very much so like a backroom brawl, or it feels very kind of low budget. And you know, like you said, like Rise in KSW—it's it's a spectacle, and that's very special to me, and definitely draws me into to watching it. Like I'm into the big big deal walkouts, and you know, the huge trophies and the flowers and the introductions and anthems and and things like that so
2: I, I very much enjoy that component of those two promotions yeah because also and you know I'll...
0: that leads me to another question mm-hmm. i would like to ask mm-hmm. and i know i would normally ask what would you be doing if you weren't doing this you'd probably be obviously a data scientist but for those who i mean for basically those casual fans the only think MMA is all about the UFC and all that. Like, what would you say to the casual sports fan that will probably get them involved with watching Ryzen? Would you basically say that, you know, it's like watching a Super Bowl or it's like watching the NBA Finals or the Stanley Cup Finals or the Indianapolis 500 or something like that?
1: Uh, You know, I think the sporting event, I would compare Ryzen to for me most of all is the Champions League. I, I think that's kind of the the future and the vision and the way that Ryzen should market itself. It's you know, a way that all these different nations send their champions to the, the heart and the home of mixed martial arts in Japan and challenge to be a legitimate world champion against champions from all different promotions, all different regions of the world, like and that's kind of the way the Champions League is marketed on the soccer end for me. So that's really how I would I would compare Ryzen as far as a, a another sporting event. I
0: see, I see. And
1: with that being said, Andrew, do you want to say anything
0: else before Billy gets a chance to put over himself?
2: Oh no, I'm just gonna say yeah. I know he gave your Twitter before out, uh, Billy, but uh, I I don't have it in front of me. But do you have the uh, the the handles for uh, MMA prospects?
1: Uh, I believe it's at MMA prospects. I can check it right now. Um,
2: yeah, because I can remember if it had the if it had the uh, dash in it, or if it didn't have the dash in it. Uh, so MMA,
1: our handle, our handle is MMA prospects.com for the MMA
2: prospects. That was it. That's and why it I threw me off because I was like, oh no, it wasn't the. Uh, it was whether it was. I saw the comment originally. I was uh, and I. It threw me off because I'm used to, to, to seeing .dot com. Okay, and uh, you gave your Twitter before. Is there anything else that you want to want to plug or give a shout out to? Um, that that uh, four is yours.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you want to hear me ramble about MMA on a weekly basis, you know, Parker's MMA show. We record every week. Uh, you know, our most recent episode just went up that uh, we interviewed Frank Mir. So. Um, mm-hmm. Usually some pretty cool conversations about UFC, Bellator, KSW, Ryzen. Um, check out my work on MMAProspects.com. Follow me on Twitter. Um, you know, Anyone wants to hit me up to talk about JMMA at any point in time, I'm uh, more than willing. Thank you guys for having me. Where, where,
2: where, really where can people it? listen to uh, Parker's MMA? Is it on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all that good stuff?
1: SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Um, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Um, you know, everywhere, everywhere your podcast can be found, we can be found.
2: Great, great. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and I- with that being said, you know, y'all can check us out on Twitter at We Are Rising Pod, at Chris Gary ninety two, at A one You can again. Check out our show on YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast providers of choice. And again, we thank you, Billy, for being a part of our show. And, you know, we hope we get some people. We hope we get. Damn it. What am I trying to say? We hope we can get some more people involved when it comes down to talking about, you know, the prospects of rising, and, you know, the future of the Rising Fighting Federation in this case. So we're happy that you're involved with our show, and, you know, we thank you for joining us.
1: You got it, guys. It was a great time.
0: Okay, but other than that, we're about to go ahead and go. And I know this might be edited in in post-production, but before we go, I think Lenny Hart has a little things she'd like to say and with that we out this mug talk to y'all later peace out